We're going in our Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. We're going through the book of Romans, verse by verse. The series is called Nail It Down, and the uh, title is a throwback to both the Reformation, because this book played such a pivotal role in lighting the fires of the Reformation in Martin Luther's heart. And so also we're nailing down some things in, in our lives, in our hearts, as the Bible reveals what truth is and, and how we can know God and serve Him. And so we're going to Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The sermon today is called Suffer by the Spirit. And we're in a, a portion of Romans that talks about the Holy Spirit's role in salvation, sanctification, and knowing God and following God. Today the sermon is about why we suffer and how we suffer and what it means to suffer by the Spirit. Now, when we talk about suffering, I kind of put on my pastoral hat, my shepherd's hat, and I, I say to myself, my goal is to really help people who are going through some hard times. And I think one of the best ways I can help people who are going through hard times is by showing you pictures of people who are going through harder times than you. So I'm going to kick this sermon off by encouraging you, by showing you people who've probably had a worse day than you this past week, all right? Check it out. Here's a picture of somebody who's having a worse day than you. That's not me, and I'm grateful for that. The paint broke open and spilled all over here. Here's the next picture. This person left his window open when it snowed. I'm really grateful that that's not me, <laughs> although it could be today. Here's the next picture. These, this person is having a very bad day. Whatever they did, they did it wrong, because that boat is underwater. Here's the next, next picture. I wouldn't want to be these people, because they were stuck up there for a while, and then they had to get rescued. And the worst of all, the person who was driving along and suddenly something unexpected came out of the vents while they were driving. Check out this picture. Yes, that's a snake. A snake came out of the vents while they were driving. They had to pull over, jump out of the car, and then die or something. <laughs> now that's just joking. I'm, I'm lightening the mood a little bit because I know that when we talk about suffering, immediately you have everyone's attention because there are things in our lives that we wish weren't in our lives. And it only goes so far to say, well, count your blessings. Well, people have it harder than you. Yes, yes. But, but at the end of all of that, still the burden remains. And so what the Bible is going to help us do today is the Bible is going to help us to learn how to bring our struggles to God, how to understand why the world is the way it is, and how to, how to actually know God and move forward with Him, even, especially when we have a trial. Uh, I've joked in the past when we've talked about trials that uh, today is bring your trial to church day. So I hope that you brought your pain with you. If you don't have a trial, stop by the connection table in the lobby after the service and a trial will be provided to you. Because I'm sure there are a few of us who have one too many, am I right? And, and if you don't have a trial now, you will soon. And, and when we go through a hard time, we all ask the same thing, right? Why? Why do we suffer and, and how do we get out of it? So that's the heart of the sermon today is how do we suffer? Why do we suffer? And, and how can I meet God in my suffering? So let's pray and then we will get into the word of God together. Father, we start off today by looking up and asking that you would just help us to make sense of our pain Lord, as we think about the things in our lives that we would rather not be going through, rather not be worrying about, as we look around and, and, and think about the people in our lives, the problems in our lives that are just making us stressed, Lord, give us perspective from your word today. Help us to know what it means to suffer by your spirit. 
And we pray that because of this, you would meet us. Meet us in the middle of our struggle. Meet us in the middle of our confusion. Meet us in the middle of our pain. And we pray that you would use us, Lord, to glorify you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, are you there in Romans chapter 8? This is, uh, we've spent several weeks on this topic already, so you can catch all these sermons online or on our app if you want to catch up. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, review where we were last week, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Listen, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So there was a lot of talk last week about being children of God, heirs of eternity, but now it starts talking about suffering. And last week I was like, how can these two things be true? If I'm a child of God and he loves me like his child, why do I suffer? Those two things don't seem to go together. If, if God is who he says he is and he's almighty and all good and all powerful, why can't he prevent the pain from entering into his child's life to begin with? Well, the Bible is explaining all of this. And it says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Uh, the first thing you can jot down is the mandate. Suffer with Christ as a child of God. The Bible commands that we have to suffer well. Trials are tests that we must pass. Jesus made it clear. He just flat out said it. In this world, you will have trouble. You know, when he issued his call to all of his disciples... He didn't say, take up your crossword puzzles and follow me. Right? He said, take up your cross. It's a torture device. The cross is a means of execution. It's very painful. So the Bible is very honest and blatant in warning us that we will have to suffer. Therefore, we have to suffer with Christ as a child of God, and this is what makes us different from the world. We're with Christ and we're children of God. Last week, we learned that we only become children of God through the process of adoption. You're not born a child of God in a sense of salvation. You have to be brought into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. That happens at a point in time when you repent of your sins, leave your rebellious ways, and become a child of God. In Romans 5, 3 to 5, we've already talked about suffering a little bit. It says more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So how do we process this problem of pain? Well, first of all, know that the Bible is very aware of the problem. The Bible never promises you a pain-free, comfortable, easy life, ever. God has never made the deal that if you follow him and give to him and serve him, he'll turn off your pain. Never has he made that deal. You and I build up these expectations, right? Okay, I'll raise my children in the Lord and then they'll never struggle. God never makes that deal. All right? He never turns off the pain switch in this life. We expect him to, but he won't. Now, as soon as we suffer, we ask ourselves why, and the Bible assures us that there is a plan. There is a why. If I had to sum up in one sentence why you're going through whatever trial you're going through, if you want a why, the one reason that is always true is because God wants to give you a better relationship with Jesus. If you need one answer, that's it. Why? Why this? Why now? Why me? God is giving you a better relationship with Jesus. If that's the only reason God has green-lighted this trial in your life, it will be worth it. If he's like, the only reason I said yes to this is to give you a better relationship with my son, it's worth it. But there are often more reasons. 
He wants you to love Jesus more. I read a quote by an author, James Thurber. He said this, Love is what you've been through with somebody. Isn't that nice? What is love? Love is what you've been through with somebody. And between you and Christ, love is what you've been through with Christ. And if you just want sunshine and rainbows, your love for Christ won't grow. Your entitlement will grow, but your love for him won't grow or deepen. Well, what is it that tests our faith? If it says here that we are going to suffer and we are supposed to suffer as children of God, what, what actually does that mean? What is the suffering? Well, this is very broad. If you look in verse 16 and 17, it's, it's very broad. You know, we're children of God, we'll suffer with him, and I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The suffering of this present time is just a catch-all. Anything. It's everything. It's just a catch-all. But a few examples that come up in the book of Romans would be, jot this down, trials. A trial is an unexpected hardship that is making your life difficult, a trial. So what is it right now that's making your life hard? It can be a what or it can be a who. Don't point at the person if they're sitting next to you. Right here is my trial. <laughs> I brought my trial to church. <laughs> no. It could be people. It could be, be finances. It could be your health. It could be your kids. It can be whatever. Your school, your, your boss. It could be whatever. Trials. Trials make your life hard. Trials humble you. What is it that's slowing you down? What is it that's emptying you out? What is it that's showing you your limitations? What is it that you wake up worrying about? That's your trial. Are you willing to suffer with Christ in this trial as a child of God? Next, witnessing is a test of our faith. Sharing our faith. We heard earlier in the book, right, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'll share my faith. I'm not ashamed to be numbered with the children of God. Jesus wants you to share your faith boldly, and he wants you to endure ridicule and even loss because of your allegiance to him, because of your walk with him. Hey, has your faith cost you something? Are you fine with being different from all of your friends? Are you trying to conform so that no one ever notices that there's something unusual or strange about you? Or are you willing to suffer for the gospel? Are you unashamed of the gospel? Or are you ashamed of the gospel? Do you want the world to know that you're different? Or do you desperately want the world to think you're the same? Witnessing is a test that we have to pass. Are you passing the test of witnessing? Or are you caving? Are you conforming? Are you living in guilt and fear and shame? Are you conforming to the world around you? Have you found your voice yet and told people about Jesus? Sometimes when we talk about witnessing, people get all, you know, confused about sharing their faith. They think they have to, like, you know, go out on the street corner and get a megaphone and shout at people and cover their cars in bumper stickers. You don't have to become obnoxious to share your faith with other people. In fact, you don't really have to even become another person for God to use you. You just have to be you. And it's best to share your faith when a little natural opportunity or window opens up and you're ready and you go for it. So uh, last week, my, my daughter texted me and she was at a friend's house and she's like, I need you to pick me up. And it was already like, pick me up at 10.30. And I'm like, all right, fine. See, the older the kids get, the longer they want to stay up. 
right? When they're younger, they want to stay up for a completely different reason. And you're like, get to bed. Then they go through this phase where they sleep through the night for a while. Then they get older and they want to stay up all night long again, right? So it's 10.30. Can you pick me up? Okay, fine. And I have a friend who wants to ride home. No, it's 10.30. I'm not driving anyone home. But he doesn't have any other ride. Okay, fine. So we get there. I'm not happy. She gets in the car. And then her friend gets in the car. And uh, she's like, this is my friend Isaac. And I'm like, Isaac? And I'm like, hey, that's a Bible name. I said, are your parents, do they know that's a Bible name? Uh, I don't know. I said, do you go to church? Not really. And I'm like, opportunity. <laughs> opportunity to A, share my faith, and B, embarrass my teenage child. <laughs> win, win. So I started driving slower. And I told Isaac the whole story about Isaac in the Bible. Abraham had a sacrifice. It was going to kill him. And then God said no. And he foreshadowed Jesus. <laughs> Shared the gospel with him. Right? And then he got out of the car. And of course my daughter's like, Dad. He needed a ride. See what I mean? I mean, I had like, you know, I had 10 minutes to do that. See, when you share your faith, you don't have to be like, I'm going to witness today. I'm going to write out my testimony and stand up on my cubicle and tell my whole office, what? Just, just look for the opening. Just watch for the, and then when, when, when it arrives and you have a divine appointment, just go for it. You might have a minute in an elevator. You might have five minutes, right, uh, on a bus. You, you might have 30 minutes, but are you willing to share your faith? What tests our faith? Well, trials, witnessing, and jot this down, spiritual growth tests our faith. The Bible is clear that God disciplines those he loves. And if there are things in your life that are displeasing to the Lord, he will go to work on you. Praise God, he only picks maybe one or two areas at a time. He, can you even imagine if he gave us the entire list of things he needs to change about us between now and when we move on to glory? I don't think we could get out of bed, right? But he, he doesn't do that. He picks a few areas and then he starts pushing us to grow, urging us to grow. The Bible teaches that God disciplines those <clears throat> he loves. Sometimes people talk and they're like, yeah, I just live life the way that I think I should be living, and it's going really well. In other words, they're sinning and they're not getting in trouble. So they think God's good with it. And I'm like, it sounds to me like God's not parenting you. It sounds to me like you're getting away with it because he's not your parent. Have you ever thought, of the fact that you're getting away with a sinful life and you're comfortable because God is not your father. See, people take getting away with their sin as proof that God's good with it. No, it's proof that he's not parenting you. And if you're like, I always get caught. My sinful coworkers don't get caught, but I can't get away with nothing. You're a child of God. All right. Thank God he's not letting you get away with it because that's not what a good parent does. Thank God that he's taking you to the mat on certain things and confronting you and convicting you. The Bible is clear. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. He begins his hard work of purging sin here. Spiritual growth. That gives us hope because God is treating us as his children and because God is not finished with us yet. I know what we want. We want God to just make us like this perfect life where we're not suffering or struggling at all. If I, had to, if I had to paint a picture of what I really want my life to be, I'd pick one of those Tom Kincaid pictures. Do you know those pictures? I got one of them here. But this like sweet little house in the country with everything blooming and a little fireplace and a porch out front. God, build me that. Right? And instead, this next picture shows often what God's up to in your life. 
He tears down half the house, and you're like, why is everything on fire? Nothing seems to be going the way I'm planning. And it's because God's putting an addition on your faith. He won't give you the perfect life yet. Spiritual growth is hard. I like what Paul Tripp says. Paul Tripp says this, nobody ever gets to be in a relationship with a finished person. Why does my husband still frustrate me? He ain't, he ain't done and you ain't done. All right. Nobody ever gets to be in a relationship with a finished person. Spiritual maturity and growth is God's way of parenting you. And maybe that's why your life is hard right now. Maybe God is smoothing out some rough edges, amputating some things that have made you miserable. What tests our faith? Witnessing spiritual growth, trials. Are you willing to suffer with Christ as a child of God? Or are you making the demand, no pain? No, are you holding your worship a hostage until God takes your pain away? Take my trial away. I'm not singing until the pain is gone. I'm not coming to church until my pain is gone. I'm not praying or talking to God until my pain is gone. Are you refusing to suffer? Why do we have the opioid crisis that we have? Why in Kentucky are there more pain pill prescriptions than there are people? Why is the Surgeon General saying this is a out-of-control national crisis? Because people are going to the doctor and saying, no pain, none. Take it away. And many die because that's the deal they're trying to make with life. Ultimately, we can't refuse trials. We have to lean in and allow God to bring suffering into our life. But we have to suffer differently. We have to suffer as children of God by the Spirit. Now, reading on, what does that mean? Well, look at verse 17. It says in verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we also may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Number two is, suffer with Christ as a child of God. Number two is, because the glory to come is worth it. You can write that down. Because the glory to come is worth it. Why? Why would I suffer? Why would I go through this? Why now? Why me? The glory to come is worth it. The glory to come is worth it. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The glory to come is worth it. There are four major worldview questions that everyone has to answer to explain this life. Origin, where did we come from? Meaning, why are we here? Morality, what is right and wrong? And destiny, where is it all going? And we believe that the Christian faith <clears throat> provides the most unifying, coherent answer to those four questions in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's where we came from, that's why we're here, that's how we are to live, and that's where we're going. He has gone to prepare a place for us. The glory that he is preparing for us, what happens next in the end is beyond comparison to our struggles in this life. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. It's coming. It's not here yet. This is not the best of all possible worlds. This is the best means to the best of all possible worlds. 
We're passing through here. This is not home. And we run into a lot of trouble when we are basically asking God to make this heaven. No, it's never going to happen. It says here that creation, in verse 19, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. This is a beautiful portrait of creation. The whole universe personified. And what is the whole universe doing? Waiting, waiting with eager longing. That means to be stretched out, like neck strained or on your toes. Creation, all the universe is, is waiting, stretching, looking forward to the release. The universe here is portrayed as suffering, waiting, longing. It says, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is long before they knew the, right, the, the laws of nature, long before they knew how the, you know, the system was breaking down and energy was burning out and the universe was expanding and if nothing changes, it will eventually expand into nothingness and darkness. And, right? we, and now, now physics teaches us that this is true, but back then it's like, yeah, everything's broken and corrupted and, and breaking down and wearing out. Yes. And it says here that God did that. There was a curse placed on creation because of the sin, right? Adam and Eve sinned in the beginning, and therefore the world didn't work the way it was supposed to because humanity was supposed to be God's ambassadors here. Uh, we were supposed to reflect his image here, and when sin entered the world, it didn't just break everything spiritually, it broke everything physically. This is the damaging power of sin. It even breaks and curses the physical order. And therefore, the glory to come is God's answer to that. And it's worth it. It's worth it. And creation is longing to see it. Jot this down. Suffering will soon bring life forever. It says in verse 17, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It says in verse 18, the glory that is to be revealed to us. That glory refers to the resurrection life. And there is a past tense to our faith. Right? God, God made a trilogy. A trilogy. Three, we love a trilogy, right? Three movies. Salvation is the first movie. God saving you. And for a lot of us, that took a long time. Long flick. Present tense is sanctification. That's the sequel. But the third movie making it making it the trilogy is glorification. And nobody's there yet. It's when we are raised with Christ in glory, like him forever, never to die again. That's coming. It's life forever. Suffering will soon bring life forever. You'll have a new body. You'll walk into paradise and you'll be able to experience God. Your faith will become sight. That's the future tense of our faith. And it's going to be amazing. A lot of people live just terrified of death. They're, they're so afraid of what happens, and they don't know what happens one minute after they die, and so they're horrified to go on to the next life. Christians, we, we should, like the Apostle Paul said, for me, it's better to depart and be with Christ by far, meaning we long for that, right? I mean, when you die, it's like, it's like cross the goal line, spike the football, and dance. I mean, it's, the game is over. Christians really don't even die, the Bible says. We blink, and then our faith becomes sight. Death has no power over us. Death is just the doorman opening up the gate to heaven. There's no fear in death anymore. There's no sting. 
Suffering will soon bring life forever. And when you look around at other worldviews, it's very sad that they have no good answers to what happens next. Stephen Hawking, one of the most famous scientists, lecturers, authors, recent times, said this, Heaven is nothing more than a fairy story invented by people who are afraid of the dark. I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. It's a very sad worldview to hold. Very sad. There's nothing. Darkness. Emptiness. It's just lights out. But the Christian faith gives us hope. Hope is the future tense of our faith. Hope of life forever. Suffering will soon bring life forever. Jot this down. Also, God will remake the heavens and the earth. Not, not only will we have new life, but the, the whole universe, the heavens and the earth will be new. It says here that creation waits, creation groans. It says that creation, in verse 21, itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The world is fallen, broken, decaying. And the word subject to futility, the word there, futility, can mean frustration or emptiness or purposelessness. This world has been put under emptiness, futility, purposelessness because it has broken away from its original purpose, which is to be filled with the glory of God through the children of God. And so God needs to remake the heavens and the earth. And creation groans and longs for that. What an amazing picture here. Here we are with our trials. Here we are with our pain. Here we are with our sufferings wondering why, why, why. And what the Bible does is it zooms the camera out and it doesn't just show you surrounded by other people who are groaning and suffering. It shows you in a whole world that's groaning in pain. Yes, you're in pain. Yes, everyone's in pain. Yes, the whole Creation is in pain. The Bible doesn't just verify and validate your pain. It amplifies it so that the stars in the sky are groaning with you. Yes! Yes! This is horrible! Yes! When? When will it go away? It'll go away when God remakes the heavens and the earth. God doesn't give you a promise to take away your pain. He gives you a paradigm to define it. And what a beautiful description he gives here. He says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. Childbirth. Labor pain. Many women in the room know what labor pain is. And is there any pain like it? You know the agony and the fear and, and the struggle and the suffering and the, the memories and the, the pain, the pain, it's, yes, it's pain. But there's a child at the end of it. There's life to come at the end of it. And what does the Bible do to encourage me? When I, I'm having pain, I'm in a trial, I'm suffering. And the Bible says, yes, but guess what's going to come at the end of that pain? I've got a picture of it. Check it out. This is what's coming at the end of the pain. Yeah, we're supposed to be like, it hurts. I know, but there's life coming. And it's better than a little baby. 
It's a whole brand new universe that's born. It's a brand new you that's born. But this image of like, this is what makes it worth it. Okay, I'll do it again. <laughs> right? Sooner than you thought. It's because of what it leads to. And the Bible grabs that image and it's like, listen, the glory to come is worth it. God's going to... The universe right now is basically a very pregnant woman. You did this to me. Get away from me. Don't you touch me. It's the world you live in. The whole created order is a very angry pregnant woman trying to give birth to a new baby universe. That's why we suffer. And listen, if you have the hope that at the end of this story, life is coming, you can get through anything. You can get through anything knowing that it's going to life. You'll go through so much knowing that the baby's on the way. That's how we suffer. Number one, suffer with Christ as a child of God because the glory to come is worth it. Number two, because the glory is worth it. Number three, wait patiently and confidently. So, so we know why we're suffering, but now how? How do we do it? Well, wait patiently and confidently. Look at verse 24. In verse 24 it says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So there's this idea of hope. Hope is believing what God has promised about the future before you see it. Hope is believing what God has promised about the future before you see it. This will end the way God said it will end. When the Apostle Paul was on a sinking ship, floating, you know, hopelessly through the Mediterranean, an angel showed up and said, don't worry, you're going to make it safely to shore. He got up the next day, nothing changed about his circumstances, and he said, men, get ready. We're going to crash on an island and survive. And they're like, you're crazy. And he's like, nope. And listen, here's what he said. I believe it will be to me exactly as I have been told. That's hope. You, you look around and see no evidence, but you were told from heaven some things about the future, and you believe it will be exactly the way you were told. Well, why doesn't God just prove it and show me? How come I've got to worry about how this thing's going to end? I saw two plays this weekend. One of them was at uh, Trinity College down the street. It was awesome. It's called The Old Man and the Old Moon. I loved it. I saw it twice, actually. And then uh, the second play was called Big Bad Wolf. It was a children's play in Elgin. My niece was in it. And it's, it was like an 80s throwback nostalgic play with all the amazing 80s songs in it. it was so, there were Care Bears running around on the stage. It was like, yes, it was awesome. All right, now imagine if, I, I, I clapped for both of the plays, standing ovation. But imagine if the playwrights for both of those plays said, you know what, we really believe in a world where there's no pain, so none of our characters were struggle. And we really don't want them to be confused either, so they're going to know the entire plot before the whole play begins, as will the audience. Uh, no one would have clapped. Okay, it would have been the most boring thing ever. No problems, no storms, no stranded on an island, no confusion of what, how does this piece play into the, the whole thing? No, no, no conflict, nothing. We just sit there and fall asleep because it would be a really lame story. Okay, And if you want God to make your life a very lame story, He won't. He won't. 
Don't pray for a lame story. Take away all my pain and give me all my answers. And then, boring. Just tell someone that. I'm praying that God gives me a very boring, uneventful life. I don't even want it to be worth telling to other people. Well, well, it's not like I want it to be that boring. Yeah, you do. And so do I. And that's why we get all wound up when pain comes. But hope means that while we're in the pain and while we don't know where the plot's going and while we don't know how things are going to work out, we believe God is good and he's going to keep his promises. So we wait patiently and confidently. It says here in verse 24, For in this hope we were saved. Hope that is seen is not hope. He's not going to show you the ending. Who hopes for what he sees? So you can't have this future form of faith unless you're confused and worried. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So here's the Holy Spirit again. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us, uh, for us, with groanings too deep for words. Jot this down. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. In verse 23, he's called the first fruit, like a deposit or down payment on the rest that God is planning for you. Look, look what came up from the ground. What? What is it? God the Spirit. Wow. What else is coming up from the ground? A whole new planet? Eventually. If God gives you his whole spirit, what an encouragement that he's going to deliver the rest of his promises. And the Spirit is in us if we're children of God, and the Spirit is there to help us. Now, this text assumes we're praying. We're praying. Helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray as we ought. So we're, we're praying, we don't know how. You ever get to that point? Maybe you are at that point. I've said to God certain times, I've said, God, I no longer know, know how to talk to you about this. I've said everything that I can say about this problem in my life. Nothing has changed. I don't know how to talk to you about this anymore. And maybe you're at that point. Maybe you're like, I, I'm out. I've expended my energy and my words and patience. I, I don't even know how to talk to God about this anymore. Well, here you are in this verse. What happens then? The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I like what Tim Keller says about prayer. He says this, Prayer is the way to experience a powerful confidence that God is handling our lives well, that our bad things will turn out for good, our good things cannot be taken from us, and the best things are yet to come. Amen. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. This means the Spirit knows your heart completely. It says in verse 27, He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. So it searches hearts, searching your heart, searching your heart, knowing the mind of the Spirit. That's om omniscience. That's everything that there is to know about what's in your heart. This is really terrifying that God is in your heart and that God knows every single thing about your past and your present and your future. Do you have any idea how terrifying of a thought that is that he knows everything i think i've probably forgotten most of the bad things i've done in life not him we we know the power of information right dirt just this week julian assange was arrested 
Seven years on the run. Why? WikiLeaks. He knew, and he told secrets. All right, if Julian Assange knew everything about you, you would be terrified. If he was going to tell all your friends everything that you've ever emailed or said about them, you would go into hiding. And what I'm telling you is worse than that. God's in there. He knows everything. That's terrifying. But then it says he's there to help. That is great. He's in there. He knows everything. And he's there to help. The Father is fully aware of everything the Spirit knows. And he's there to help you, to reassure you. Listen, maybe you feel like Maybe you feel like God doesn't want you to talk to him. Maybe you feel like you don't want to burden him. Maybe you feel like, does God even understand what I'm going through? He's your father. And listen, God speaks fluent you. He knows how to get through to you. And his spirit is there. So the spirit is helping in your weakness. He's there. Jot this down. Wait patiently and confidently. Because the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Also because God works everything together for good. Romans 8, 28, if you haven't memorized this already, man, put it on your mirror. It says that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. It says the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God Himself is moving you along His path. And the promise, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. This doesn't mean that all things are good. This doesn't mean that all things are directly good, right? When Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, that wasn't good. But what he said to his brothers was, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. God can mean anything for good. Any evil anyone brings into your life, God can mean it for good. He can mean it for good. God works everything together for good. God isn't planning to make your life easier. He's planning to make your life eternal. Therefore, all the pain that comes into your life, like, like dissonant notes in a symphony, right, in an orchestra, God is able to change the key at will, and he can resolve it. He can resolve anything, and he can make it come to a grand ending. He's in charge. Have you ever heard people say, well, everything happens for a reason? Well, I believe, how many of you have heard that? Well, I believe everything happens for a reason. How many of you have heard people say that before? See, this is, when people say that, they're trying to find some vague reason, foggy, higher purpose for whatever they just went through. And it's even worse when people say that after they just made a mess of their lives, right? right? They told their boss off and got fired, and they're like, well, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, this happened because of your language, okay? This isn't some cosmic explanation out there. You know, Mercury was up there, and that's why, I, no, you, you yelled at your boss. Okay, reason found. People are like, well, everything happens for a reason, and they mean that because they want everything to actually fit together for a higher purpose, and here's the thing, it does. But don't say everything happens for a reason. Say, I believe God works everything together for good. I believe God works everything together for good. Because then you can still own your sin and you're part of the problem and believe God can work it together. God works all things together for good. Then it says, for those who are called according to his purpose. God has a purpose. And he wants you to glorify him. Do you know you were created to glorify God? What does that mean? God's glory is proof of God's presence. God's glory is proof of God's power. When God is glorified, 
that means something proves that he was somewhere and he did something. Now, here's a great thought. You were made to glorify God. So when pain comes into your life, what do I pray? What do I pray? Here's what you pray. Lord, use this to show people you're good. Use this to show people you're strong. Use this to show people you're with me. Then God will be glorified in your pain. I talked to somebody a few weeks ago, and he's like, I, I, I mean, I believed in God. I followed God for a few years, but he just didn't prove to me he was real. And I said, I think you're asking for too small of a thing. What? Proof. I want proof. I said, don't ask God to give you proof. Ask God to make you proof. That's what he wants. He doesn't want to just, don't, don't say, God, give me proof of your goodness. Say, God, make me proof of your goodness. And he'll use your trial to do that. He will make you living, breathing proof that he lives and that he's with you. Wait patiently and confidently because the Spirit helps us in our weakness because God works everything together for good. And jot this down. How? Well, by loving God who sent Jesus to save you. It says, all things work together for those who are called according to his purpose. According to his purpose. What that means is, if you are not God's child, if you are not on his plan, then these promises don't yet apply to you. All right? Before you are a Christian, every painful thing that has ever happened to you is God's way of showing you his absence. After you're a Christian, every painful thing that happens to you is God's way of showing his presence. Before you're saved, God's showing you he's not with you and he's saying you need my son. After you're saved, everything you go through is God's way of saying, I'm with you, you need my son, you have my son. If you've been wondering your whole life, where's God? That's what he wants you to wonder. These promises are conditional, and God wants you to love him by believing in Jesus who was sent to save you. Hey, listen, this life is just one big appetizer. You've been living in previews before the movie. The lights haven't even gone down yet. Soon, the real life will begin. Are you ready for eternity? Is your soul prepared for forever? Do you have hope that because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, that you will live with God forever? Let me close by inviting you to consider trusting Jesus as Savior so that you are ready to pass over into the next life. I want to read to you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. where He says this, On our Christian pilgrimage it is well, for the most part, to be looking forward. Forward lies the crown and onward is the goal, whether it be for hope, for joy, for consolation, for the inspiring of our love. The future must, after all, be the grand object of the eye of faith. Looking into the future, we see sin cast out, the body of sin and death destroyed, the soul made perfect and fit to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. Looking further yet, the believer's enlightened eye can see death's river past, the gloomy stream forded, and the hills of light attained on which standeth the celestial city. He seeth himself enter within the pearly gates, hailed as more than a conqueror, crowned by the hand of Christ, embraced in the arms of Jesus." glorified with him and made to sit together with him on his throne, even as he has overcome and sat down with the Father on his throne. The thought of this future may well relieve the darkness of the past and the gloom of the present. The joys of heaven will surely compensate for all the sorrows of earth. Hush, hush my doubts. 
Death is but a narrow stream, and thou shalt soon have forded it. Time, how short. Eternity, how long. Death, how brief. Immortality, how endless. Let's pray. Father, I pray this hope for everyone in the room. That they would no longer live in fear and shame and guilt and worry. That they would no longer endure your absence, but long for your presence. Father, I pray right now for those who are living without hope in Jesus Christ. May they surrender their souls to the one who died and rose again. I pray that right now people would realize that they came into this room unprepared for the next life. Guilty as charged. Headed for torment. And may they turn, walk away from their sin, and call upon the only one who can save them. Jesus, who came into this world to save sinners. Jesus, who died on the cross and rose again. Jesus, who now lives and rules and reigns forever. I pray that right now in the quiet of their own hearts, some would be calling out, saying, Jesus, forgive me and save me. Say that. Say that in your own heart. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Say that. Say, Father, make me a child of God. And if you call upon the Father, He will hear and send the Spirit. He will wash your sins away. He will make you a temple. And He will go to work transforming you into the likeness of His Son. You'll be born again. And soon, the heavens and the earth will roll away like a scroll and a brand new universe will be born. And you'll be able to enjoy life forever with the Father who made you. This is all in Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. We pray in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen.